What's up, everybody? Rob Cruz, Transcending Sport. Want to let you know that we are jumping off the Human Performance Series, where I will be having my friends from all over the country, all over the world, giving us a little bit of insight into all aspects of human performance, whether that's nutrition, performance, mobility, vision, recovery, sleep, whatever it is, we're going to hit it. Check it out. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? It's Rob Cruz. This is Transcending Sport. Um, you are tuned into the Human Performance Series. We're kicking off the Human Performance Series with uh, Dylan Wagner from Rapid Sports out of the Atlanta, Georgia area. And we're going to go right into it. First, we want to get a little bit of an outline of you know, Dylan's background in human performance training. What's up, Dylan? Hey, Rob. How's it going, man? Appreciate you having me on. Good. Good to, good to have you. I um, wanted to just real quickly just... Um, if you could just go ahead and give everybody like yes. where you went to school, your educational background regarding um, what you do and, and what, exactly what it is that you do down at Rapid Sports. Yeah. Yep. So right, right now I'm at Rapid Sports. We're, uh, we're in Woodstock, Georgia. So we mostly cater to training baseball athletes. Um, we have a, a pretty large stable of uh, minor league and pro guys that are going to be here throughout the off season. Uh, you know, naturally, we still do plenty of middle school, high school, college athletes and stuff like that. So myself, as well as all the other coaches that are working there, um, whether you want to call us performance coaches, strength coaches, we do speed training, strength, power, um, and anything you can really think of when it comes down to preparing the athlete for being ready to go on the field. Uh, I've been down here just a little over three months. I mean, as you know, I'm coming down from New York. That's where I you know, grew up, born and raised. So went to high school there. Uh, then when I went off to college, I went to a small division two school called West Virginia Wesleyan. I spent five years down there. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in exercise science, which is obviously where I got my background to be able to do this stuff. Also got my MBA while I was down there. Um, and over the course of those five years, I, uh, I was on the baseball team down there. So over the course of those five, redshirted my freshman year, played my last four, uh, started off going in as a catcher. Ended up pitching a decent amount throughout the time. I mean, to be honest, I was like a, a glorified utility player. I did a whole lot of everything. So it's worked out to my favor. I've been able to really relate to players on, on both sides of the ball, whether they're pitchers or position players. Um, and that experience has really helped me relate more to my athletes when I coach them here on the, on the training floor. Um, so that, that experience there throughout school led me, led me to a, a pretty lucrative internship, luckily for me. Um, I was able to, during the summer of 2015, intern at Christie Sports Performance up in Hudson, Massachusetts. Um, able to develop a relatively good relationship with Eric up there. And fortunately for me, that's kind of how I found the position down here at Rapid. But that experience up there is, you know, without question, hands down, what got me to definitively know that I wanted to do this um, as my career. But the experience up there, it's priceless. The things that I learned and the athletes that I work with have, have been probably the biggest uh, factor in molding me into how I think and, and coach today. That's great. So 
um, what I wanted to talk about first, because, you know, a lot of people who look at human, human performance and, and training and go into a strength trainer um, really don't know. They follow, but they don't really know. And I think why they should be doing it. But they see other people doing it, and, and somebody may have said, hey, you need to go to a strength trainer. But then they don't really understand the dynamic and the science and really the specificity of, right. of what, how that programming can help them to become a better player. Um, and there's so many different options out there that really shouldn't be options. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, because you have people who are putting kids through workouts. And, and, and they're not and they, they haven't done an assessment and they haven't created a program based on that assessment so if you, if you would you know please tell us talk to us a little bit about um, why the assessment what is the assessment one why the assessment is crucial and then obviously that's going to lead up into you know how we program and how we customize a, 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 a training program but specifically why is the assessment? such a it's just an important part of the process right i mean so you know and as you said there's there, there's so many options the market is is completely saturated with you know people opening up gyms here and there and you know the, the general population they don't have the experience or knowledge to differentiate from the get-go who's good and who's bad um there, there's an assumption that as long as you're doing something that that it's good enough and you're doing the right thing and it's just not um, when you have people that have spent the last 10 years working a nine to five desk job, and then they decide, oh man, my life sucks. I really like fitness, so I'm gonna become a coach. And I'm gonna open a gym and I'm gonna do this and that. And unfortunately for the sake of youth athletes, they're getting put in a situation where people don't really know what they're doing, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and the athletes are either number one, getting put in harm's way, or number two, they're just not getting better. So you have parents that are spending money like crazy going all these places and it's just a complete waste so the first thing you have to do is make sure you're finding the right place and you should be able to tell relatively easily based on on the coach's knowledge and experience once you get in the door so the assessment or an evaluation is the first thing that's going to happen anytime somebody comes in to rapid um we're going to take the kid and you know whatever level they're going to be i'm going to do essentially the same assessment whether you're a high school athlete or you're, or you're a pro athlete it doesn't really matter the assessment is where I'm gonna find out the information I need to know in order to program appropriately for you specifically. And so that doesn't just mean your sport, that means you as, as an athlete. Um, so the reason that it's so important is because you have to know exactly what the athlete needs so they can get better, right? Our, our goal is to make every athlete be the best version of themselves performance-wise. And they're gonna need something different, whether it's more mobility, maybe somebody else needs more core. Maybe somebody has had a decent amount of training history lifting weights, but they're stiff as a board um, and, and they need more flexibility. So there's tons of factors that go into there and they need to be accounted for in the beginning. So if you're not assessing, you're essentially just guessing. You know, you're just seeing what may or may not work. And the problem is, youth athletes are so untrained that they'll get better doing just about anything but that'll taper off very very quickly and then all of a sudden they don't get any better at all um so if you're not going through that assessment process from the get-go you're not going to know what that athlete needs and for me more importantly 
you could potentially be putting an athlete in harm's way, giving them exercises that are absolutely not the right thing for their body. And the last thing we want is to get athletes hurt. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's usually what happens is that usually leads to injury. Um, when we don't. So, you know, I haven't heard this term being thrown around a lot called functional movement. Um, specifically, what is that? And why is that something? Oh, why not? Why is that not something that we should be concerned with early on in the uh, in the beginning stages of strength training? So when it comes to things being functional, is as long as the movements and the exercises that we're putting in front of the athlete get him to be a better skilled player, then that's functional. Uh, to me, it's it's that plain and simple. So take me through what happens in an assessment. Okay, so athlete comes in day one and we'll sit them down and first we're gonna go over uh, a medical or injury history. So it's our due diligence to make sure that we find out if the athlete had any any tears, sprains, strains, pulls, uh, if there's any surgery, uh, if they had to see a doctor for anything that's been any, any sort of problematic over the course of their playing history. This way we know that this athlete either can or can't do these certain things, that this is an area that we have to spend more attention on or avoid these exercises entirely. Um, or, or even something as simple as, you know, does the athlete have asthma or a heart condition or diabetes or, or something like that where we know we have to modify a training program around some sort of pre-existing condition. Right. Um, after we <clears throat> figure that, now if, if you're going somewhere and they're not doing that right off the get-go, then you're 100% in the wrong place. Um, but starting from there, then we're going to keep moving forward and now we're going to start to get more into the assessment itself. First thing, we're going to take the athlete, put them up on the table, and we're going to take joint ranges of motion um, and, and determine whether or not they have they have the adequate function at the joint level. So um, pa we can pause dive. for one second. So th this is the table assessment now, right? You're talking about right? Yep, now there's the table assessment. So that's, that's like a thing. So like with, with the table assessment, you know, it's funny because I have I have so many athletes that are that are going to strength places or strength trainers who have never taken the time to even ask those questions that you talked about, uh, medical and injury history, or anything that they would have to uh, program around, and they're going. Nor nor are they doing a table a table assessment. Right, and that's <laughs> that should be a red flag, an yeah. immediate red flag right off the bat. Okay. So the table assessment consists of what? So if we're looking, you know, I'll talk baseball, softball, since that's the majority of the people that we work with. Um, I might do it a, a little bit differently, but I'm going to look at the passive range of motion at each joint, which would be the athlete being totally relaxed, where I'm going to move their body through the movements. Um, then I'm going to look at their active range of motion, which is going to be the athlete themselves doing that same motion, but on their own. Then I'm going to compare the difference, right? Our, our passive range of motion, let's think about that as the joint's overall capacity. So the joint can go that far. Then the active range of motion is, okay, out of all of that capacity, what can you actually use on your own? So when it comes to sport, yeah, that one's gonna be the one that's a little bit more important there. But we need those two numbers to be close together so that we know there is not gonna be a, a large risk for injury because of that huge gap where the athlete can't control it. If, if that makes sense. Um, so that's how I approach going through all of the different joints. And if we're looking baseball, softball, we're gonna do total range of motion in both shoulders, um, definitely total range of motion in both hips. And from that point forward, if there's anything else that stands out, then I'll, I'll take a look. Um, we'll also do scaps, 
looking at things like upward rotation. Do they sit in anterior tilt or are they very posteriorly tilted? Um, I also like to look at the spine and see how well does it does it flex and extend. So the spine being the most proximal or close to the center of the body is gonna dictate how every other joint throughout the body rests, moves, works, functions. Um, everything movement-wise happens from proximal to distal, so inside to out. If the spine doesn't have the right type of movement or isn't sitting in the appropriate places, then we can assume somewhere else along the chain of movement, something else is going to to either suffer or not be working adequately. That's great. So you have you have like some kind of a you know I, I I've seen you I've seen you do this before. <laughs> yeah, I kind of know. Um, but I I know you have like a an app that um, uses the camera on the phone to really do the. Was that was that the spine? Um, was that yeah. The so like, I'll basically I just I just went on on the app store and, and I just found a goniometer on there that was like relatively cheap and then this way I have it all the time on my phone and I can take the range of motion so I know I have the right number instead of again guessing at oh it might be this degree or it might be there um, based on the nature of my assessment where I'm comparing specific numbers to each other passive to active. It's pertinent for me to know what that number is, so this way I know what exercise selection that I can choose from for you know the right mobility programming for the athlete. Okay. Makes it super easy. Got it. So is, it, is that pretty much it for the table assessment? Yep, that's going to be it for the table assessment, and then after the table, we're going to move forward into going to some like dynamic movements and mm -hmm. some screening like that. So probably a little bit of a combination of some some FMS functional movement screening type of protocols, kind of molded after what I learned up at, um, at CSP. Uh, but we'll go over overhead squat, walking lunge. I'll do a toe touch so we can see how well they can hinge. Um, that kind of covers it for the most part of what I do there. If something else kind of stands out, I might do maybe like watch them do a bear crawl or, or something of that nature. But for the most part, you know, there's only so much time that we have in order to do something like this. And there's just like a plethora of different types of tests. So it's just about picking the ones that that give us the most information in the time that we have and then, and then going from there. Great. So now in terms of programming, you know, you got your information, you got your data, you, you're kind of seeing what range of motion for, for each athlete looks like. And you're, you're looking at the uh, comparative differences, scap, spine, ability to flex, ability to extend. Now, male versus female athletes, um, we're talking about baseball and softball as a rotational sport, pretty right. much because of the, the, the rotational movement required to throw and the rotational movement required to, to actually hit in the swing. Male versus female athletes, are there differences at specific ages with how you program, with what females may or may not be going through with their bodies at that teen age, and then boys probably going through uh, changes probably later, right, um, or longer. Um, what, how, what does that look like? So, I mean, off the bat, first off. Female athletes are going to pre present with more joint laxity or, or looseness, if we want to call it that. So they're they're going to be more, we'll just call it like flexible. Yeah. Um, now, you just have to monitor exercising more appropriately because they're going to be a lot more likely to move through some very hypermobile end ranges um, and, and not realize that they might be putting themselves in more of like a detrimental position. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, females just hit puberty earlier. So honestly... If I have a, a 13 or 14 year old female and a 13 or 14 year old male, 
usually that female moves better. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already started going through that process and they, they have a better understanding of how their body works right there. Um, outside of just making sure you understand that that's what's happening between the male and female body. Otherwise, baseball and softball are not really very different sports whatsoever. So exercise selection is going to be very, very similar. Okay. So now, do, do you, once you've got the sport specific, um, when it comes time to create programs, you've got your sport specific um, information. How is it different when we talk about position specific? Right. And or body type specific. How is it? How is it different? What are some of the things you may look for in the assessment regarding regarding a particular particular position um, versus you know working with a, a lacrosse player or a volleyball player or a baseball player? Obviously, those are different sports. But now within the sport, let's talk about position specificity. Okay. So baseball wise. Pitchers versus position players. That's how program has kind of always been broken up, and, and I imagine that's how it's going to continue over the course of time. Um, I don't assess any differently because I know that everybody still throws. So yeah. everybody still has the same basic needs of the body, right? Everybody has to be able to execute the same movements. Um, that being said, we do have to be a little bit more conscious with what the pitcher is doing in the training room or in the weight room just based on the nature of how much more volume they're getting in that throwing arm <laughs> yeah i mean tremendous amount of more volume and almost always at a much much higher intensity pitchers are going max effort almost every single throw that they make not many other positions are going max effort on every throw and they're throwing way less often um so with the pitcher we just want to be careful of what's going on at the shoulder and the elbow. Um, I know baseball players in general, like I'm not going to be programming bench presses, right? Barbell bench press. I mean, if, if, if we don't now at this point understand that barbell bench press is a, is a poor exercise selection for baseball players, then we should really evaluate if this is the right career choice for us. Um, but position players, I'm cool if they want to, you know, maybe hit some one-arm dumbbell presses. Um, you know, like chest dumbbell presses, if you want to think about it from that nature. But uh, a pitcher, they're probably going to be better off with doing cable presses or push-ups, something where we free up the shoulder blades, the scaps, to be able to move. Um, that is something that's super important across baseball programming. Anytime we're doing pulling, so think rows or pressing exercises, we have to make sure that the shoulder blades are being able to move freely, basically protract, retract accordingly, shoulder blade moving along the rib cage during those movements um so pitchers much more important that they do that they need their pressing movements to have free motion in the shoulder blades position players can get away with hitting some demo press if they want to every now and then that's definitely not going to put them in harm's way um there's a lot of things going on on the internet with regards to um olympic lifts should we be doing them should we not be doing them bench press should we should we be doing them? Should we not be doing them with with uh, with pitchers and baseball players and stuff like that? So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so Olympic lifts are a big no go for me, mm-hmm. um, and and this is really the main reason why. So, Olympic lifts are, are mainly used to develop power. Um, power is going to be our balance of strength and speed, right? So, 
baseball is more of a speed end of that continuum of the sport. Um, so obviously power exercises are super useful, but power is completely specific to the plane of motion that it's utilized, trained, performed in. So we're thinking baseball is rotational in nature, right? So that's going to be big time transverse plane. Olympic lifts are all sagittal, which is straight up and down. So think a power clean, a snatch, um, clean and jerk, so, so, something like that. Those movements are not at all specific to the plane of motion that baseball and softball players need to develop power in. So you can power clean your ass off for as much as you would like, but it won't at all help you rotate more efficiently or with more power. That's just the way science works, plain and simple. So, you know, there are different reasons why somebody would seek out a would seek out a uh, a strength coach. You know, obviously, one you want to get stronger. <laughs> obviously, obviously, uh, yeah. Obviously, you want to get faster. But you know, when I look at it, I look at it from an injury prevention point of view. Right. I, I believe that you know when you go into the right person, it could be a great way to um, to prevent future in- injuries by by really just giving your muscles and your joints and your and your ligaments the ability to withstand all the and endure all that they have to go through you know in a preseason offseason in-season regimen so what are some of the most common um, injury predictors when you when you find out when you when you go through an assessment with someone just in the assessment phase pretty much um what are some of the things that, that jump out at you that say, hey, you know what? Wow, this, this, this person's about to get hurt or they already are just by the way I can just by the way they're moving now in, in this in this assessment. So if, if we look at the shoulders, um, we, we definitely have to assess total range of motion being internal rotation plus external rotation in both arms. Um, people throw around a term GERD or glenohumeral internal rotation deficit and that is probably a little less common than you you would think that you would see it. People throw that term in there just because they you know don't think somebody has the right type of IR in their throwing shoulder. But a, a predictor of injury is usually asymmetries throughout the body somewhere. If one arm has total range of motion or can rotate at a much higher degree of, of, of range than the other shoulder can, then we can assume pretty rationally that somewhere down the road, unless some sort of intervention has taken place, that an injury could likely take place. Um, and then the last thing, obviously, that a baseball player wants is to have an injury in their throwing shoulder. Um, that's about, you know, the end of your playing time, if that's really what's going on. Um, that, that's a big one that I see right there. And then another one for me is going to be a, a lack of control over core or hips. So let's say I put somebody through a, an overhead squat assessment, okay, and they start getting down toward 90 degrees, which is, you know, what's commonly thought of as adequate depth in a squat. And they start to butt wink is the term that we use or where their their pelvis or their butt kind of starts to like tuck under, you know, where they kind of look like a, like a dog taking a shit for lack of a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, now that that's a terrible pattern to load on. And people like that, I mean, I've seen college athletes coming in there and oh man, yeah, I squat this many days a week and I deadlift this many days a week. And they're loading over that average movement pattern. Um, so that might not be something that is specifically, you know, going to cause an injury, but if you don't do the right type of monitor training and you're loading over a pattern that's that poor, you can almost guarantee uh, some sort of low back pain or low back injury to 
come out in the future. Okay, <clears throat> okay. So I, I was just writing down some things um, as you were talking. Just, you know, I I would think um, that some st- there's like maybe a set of variables that lead to injury that are lifestyle issues or not only lifestyle issues but just okay this is where this person is in their in their level of fitness right um that that can lead to that can lead to injury um and so i got fatigue yep um you know i have um flexibility or the lack of flexibility <laughs> right um, the lack of strength poor poor mechanics and a really poor warm-up right um anything else that jumps out at you real quick um i mean that that looked good right there i mean all those it's all there's not usually just one giant thing that stands out when it comes to injury it usually is some sort of conglomerate of of different pieces that are just not being done at the right level or appropriately i mean you can even add like you know lack of sleep or sleep deprivation or sleep quality Mm -hmm. into that um equation as well if people don't have the adequate range of motion to move through their skill specific movements if they're not strong enough to maintain those movements over the course of time and then you add fatigue right you add the fact that the body lack of warm-up great one that you said there if we're not preparing the body in order to perform properly i mean you're, you're going to get hurt at some point it just is a matter of to, to what extent or to what degree is that injury going to be mm, that's good. yeah so you know basically you know we covered it <laughs> i think this is good um yeah that's kind of like an introductory, you know, talking about assessment. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to get, um, to get out there or anything else you want to say on this topic? Um, I mean, if, if you're a fitness professional, you have to be doing an assessment for a reason. You can't just do it because everybody does it and you think it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do, but you have to be taking the information and the data that you collect and actually using it toward a, a real intervention for each athlete. So if you just take your assessment just to show people you're doing it and then you put it in a folder and never look at it again, you're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then oh, the athlete is going to be the one that's going to suffer at the end of it. It's not going to be you. So just keep in mind that we're, you're doing this for the benefit of athletes. And especially when you have a youth athlete in front of you, when they're relying and depending on you for their development, you're, you're absolutely doing the wrong thing by them if you're not using an assessment at all or if you're just using it for the sake of, you know, selling to them yeah you, um, you know it's funny you said that as you're talking i'm thinking you got in this world you have you have good and bad and, and pretty much every profession you have people who, yep. who you have people who half-ass everything in a profession yep. and then you have people who go the go all out and go the extra mile in a profession then you have people who are, do the bare minimum you know in a profession and in a profession like this there's way too much at stake you know, there's just way too much at stake. It's not like way too much. <laughs> it's not like you're putting a donut in a bag or tearing a ticket at a movie theater. This is this is really nope. serious. There, yeah, stuff. <laughs> there's there's you know hu- human bodies on the line. You know, exactly. there, there are people on the line here. You can't really mess with that at all. So um, um, so I I think it, it it's uh finding that the right person. At the end of the day, it's it's the person and their values and their level of integrity, and really how much they just give a damn about you and your 
in your career or you and your child if you're a parent looking for someone um, absolutely and, and, and you should be able to know whether or not somebody cares or not just by that level of well one you know if, if you if someone going back to what you what we said earlier if you're not even doing an assessment um this isn't or, for you. And I'm and I'm asking and I'm I ask my athletes, hey, have you done have you done an assessment? And they're like, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, well, you, then you, you, you probably you didn't, did. You didn't do one, <laughs> right? <laughs> so somebody telling you what your what your maximums are is not an assessment. No. You know, somebody no. timing and, you on your speed. For the most part, right. that's dangerous. Right. <laughs> that's very dangerous. So like, um, the fact that that person didn't do an assessment says a lot about what about one either they didn't know to do one but says a lot about their knowledge right they have none <laughs> and then right. two if they if they didn't do one if they knew they should have did one and they didn't do one that also tells a lot about how much they care so obviously yep. it starts with this it really starts with that because you can't just go around training people and putting people through a workout without understanding what could possibly hurt them or even worse and their career right because you you took a shortcut yeah not not all workouts are created equal and you know this might be slightly off topic but it's worth noting that to parents just because your kid comes out of a training session sweating and tired does not mean he got better I would argue more often than not, just because the kid comes out, you know, looking like he just finished an army boot camp, he probably got worse. <laughs> there's not going to be, there, there's not being a, any realistic qualities of human performance being trained, and anybody can make anyone tired. Right. Anybody can do that. It doesn't take a good coach or a knowledgeable trainer just to make someone tired. So, it's it's definitely up to the parent in order to do their due diligence to figure out the right place for the athlete um, because you know the kid they, they don't know they haven't seen parents have at least been around the block so just parents make sure you're doing the right thing by your kid and, and putting them in the right place so the assessment and this whole injury prevention portion of this is is the right start has to happen from here first um, so Dylan how could my audience get in touch with you on social where you're at what's your handle um, so for me on Instagram, it's at coach underscore dill underscore. Um, that's just my personal page right there. I would highly suggest that everybody follows our page on Rapid at Rapid Sports Performance. Um, and because we're all, all the coaches collectively, we're all coming together um, and, and putting material up on the Rapid page. So if you guys need to see any sort of exercises, any sort of tips about the types of training you should be doing, um, that is absolutely what you'll be doing um actually the, the rapid handle is just at rapid sports but if you look up rapid sports performance you're going to find our page all right thanks a lot man i really appreciate you coming on